Let's pray. Creative God, you make all things new in heaven and on earth. We come to you in a new year with new desires and old fears, new decisions and old controversies, new dreams and old weaknesses. Because you are a God of hope, we know that you create all the possibilities for the future. Because you are a God of love, we know that you accept all the mistakes of the past. Because you are a God of our faith, we enter your gates with thanksgiving and praise. We come into your presence with gladness and a joyful noise, and we serve and bless you. Amen. Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning here. And for a lot of us, it feels like we haven't left, but we look different. Um, that's a, a thank you to Dylan Blackford for the work he put into the mystery dinner. Um, if you have a chance to do the dinner, Dylan just did a great job. I, I think he wrote the whole thing, too, like, which is fun. So uh, it's nice to see us not you know, police officers or reporters and stuff, but, but it was fun. It was a good, a good meal. Um, one of the things that Nate and Finley started off with uh, is an, an important statement as church begins, and uh, they said the words triune God. A lot of people are gathered this morning around the globe um, to worship God, and uh, it's nice to hear specifically the God that we worship of the many gods that people have thought to have existed. We worship the one true God, triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why we're here. And uh, we're here as a body of believers together, not only to worship him, but to receive from him that which is pleasing to him. We hear his word, we sing praises together, and we encourage one another. And so we begin our service uh, not only stating why, we're, why we are here, but we also are here uh, to encourage and greet one another. So let me give you our Lord's greeting, and then you can greet those around you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Would you welcome those around you? This is my father's world. 
Carpenter's Son, Comforter, Cornerstone, Emmanuel, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Lamb of God, Messiah, our only begotten Son, Root of Jesse, Seed of David, Son of Man, Song of God, the Word, Jesus. Whatever name you use, it's a beautiful name, the name of Jesus. What a 
death could not hold you, without or before you, silence the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are rolling, the praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again. You have no rival. You have no equal, now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory, yours is the name above all names. What a powerful name it is, what a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a powerful name it is. Nothing can stand against. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. You have no rivals. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory, yours is the name above all names. What a powerful name it is, what a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ my King. What a powerful name it is, nothing can stand against. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. Seated. For our confession and assurance, we have a response of faith from Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. God has spoken to us by his Son. God made the world through the Son, who has been appointed heir of all things, and the perfect reflection of God's glory. The Son is the exact representation of God's being, sustaining all things by his Praise God for the gift of his son. We welcome the light into the world. Our call to confession is from Psalm 32. The psalmist wrote, Happy are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. While I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up like from the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess the transgressions, my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all who are faithful offer prayer to you. Let's bow our head as we pray a prayer of confession. Hear these words from Psalm 25 as our prayer. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord. 
and of your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of our youth or our transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember us, Lord, for your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs us, we sinners, in the way. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon our guilt, for it is great. Turn to us and be gracious to us, for we are lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of our heart and bring us out of distress. <coughs> Consider our afflictions and our trouble and forgive us all our sins. Now take a moment to silently confess your sins to God. Receive this assurance of pardon from Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 6. Surely he has borne our infirmities, and he has carried our diseases. Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole. And by his bruises we are healed. And we all like sheep have gone astray, we have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the inequity of us all. Praise be to our God for the forgiveness of sins through him, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, we have the privilege this morning of baptizing Calvin Kigma, and uh, I put it, uh, a lot of times we'll put baptisms after the sermon as kind of a response to the Word of God, and I put it before the sermon this morning, and also before we dismiss the kids, just to have all the kids here to be a part as well of uh, remembering our own baptisms and, and, and participating in the baptism of Calvin. Hear the words of our Lord. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. From Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul wrote, Hear also these words from Holy Scripture. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all. So I know most of us here, I don't want to assume too much, uh, know why we baptize babies uh, rooted in the covenant promises, even in the Old Testament where the sign and seal was circumcision, the new sign and seal being baptism. Uh, the sign and seal of the Old Covenant administered to infants. It was a bloody covenant representing the bloody sacrifice that had to be made on the altar, ultimately to be made right with God. And in the new covenant, we baptize with water, infants as well, just like the old, but representing uh, that new uh, inward reality of Christ washing and cleansing us. So it is the covenant sign and seal. It hasn't changed. It, we haven't excluded kids. They've always been included as we read the wholeness of Scripture. And so uh, there's the simple version of why we, we baptize babies, saying these promises are for you as well. And our liturgy reads, baptism is the sign and seal of God's promise to his covenant people. In baptism, God promises by grace alone to forgive our sins to adopt us into the body of Christ, the church, to send his Holy Spirit daily to renew us, and to resurrect us to eternal life. And the promise is made visible by water, and so we have the baptismal font here filled with water. Water, we know what it does in our daily routines. It, it cleans, it cleanses, it purifies, it refreshes. 
Ultimately, if you think about water, maybe one reason God gave us water as an essential need in our life is to point us to the one who is living water, who does these things on a spiritual scale, pointing us to Jesus. Baptism is the sign and seal of God's eternal covenant of grace with us. So at this time, I ask the kingdoms to come forward. Uh, Mike Rye as well, representing the elders, if you'd come forward right now. You guys can stand over. So it is the family of God. And what a joy and pleasure it is for all of us to celebrate with Carla and Logan as they usher in to the kingdom. Kelvin Kingma. Um, it is a great joy and it is a great pleasure. And um, it's separating, I think, is one other point in there, how it separates us from the rest of the world and into the family of God. And so it is a wonderful joy to celebrate with Carla and Logan as they usher Kelvin into this family here as part of the greater family of God. So Carla and Logan, you stand before us having brought Calvin to receive the sacrament of baptism. And I ask you therefore before God and before Christ's church to reject evil, to profess your faith in Jesus, and to confess the faith of the church. Do you renounce sin and the power of evil in your life and in the world? If so, say, we renounce them. We renounce them. Who is your Lord and Savior? Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. Do you promise to instruct Calvin in the truth of God's word, in the way of salvation through Jesus Christ, to pray for him and to teach him to pray, to train him in Christ's way by your example, through worship and in the nurture of the church? If so, say we do, and we ask God to help us. I want to ask the congregation to stand as well. So this part I can't emphasize enough, and I try to, each baptism. Uh, this is a covenant welcoming, covenant promise to God's people. We all take responsibility here for Calvin, uh, to raise him in the knowledge of the Lord, to teach him, to be spiritual examples to Calvin, as we are to each other. But I just can't emphasize this part enough. This isn't just about Calvin. This is what God is doing in Calvin's life, in the body of Christ, which is his body. Do you promise to love, encourage, and support Calvin Kingma by teaching him the gospel of God's love, by being an example of Christian faith and character to him, by giving the strong support of God's family in fellowship, in prayer, and in service? If so, say, we do. Let's confess our faith together with the words of the Apostles' Creed. Do you believe in God the Father? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, and he ascended to heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in God, the Holy Spirit? I believe in God, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, 
the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the gift of water, as water points us to who you are as the living water, Lord Jesus. In the beginning of creation, your spirit moved. It hovered over the waters. In the waters of the floods, you destroyed evil. You led the children of Israel through the waters to the freedom of the promised land. Your spirit, Lord, anointed them, falling upon them like water. By your death and resurrection, Jesus, you are the living water. You free us from sin and death, and you open up the way to eternal life. And we thank you, O God, for the gift of baptism. In this water, you confirm to us that we are buried with Christ in his death and raised with him to share in his resurrection. And we're being renewed by his Holy Spirit that you have poured out upon us. Lord, remind us of our baptisms as we together celebrate Calvin's baptism. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, we'll see if we can keep them sleeping. Calvin Kingma. Oh, you're already awake. That was quick. That's not my dad's voice, right? You're a child of the covenant. Parents who worship Jesus in a church that worships Jesus. And we welcome you in to the family of God, Calvin Kingma. We baptize you in the name of the Father. We baptize you in the name of the Son. And we baptize you in the name of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, the only king ahead of the church, Calvin Kingma is now baptized in as a visible member, member of uh, Christ's body, of the church, engaged to confess the faith of Christ, um, and to be God's faithful witness until the end. Let me pray. Glorious God, we thank you for Calvin. I thank you for the water again of baptism as we baptize him into the triune name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we know this is more than just a mere act of remembrance, a, a mere act of obedience. We know your Holy Spirit is infused here, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the work that you've done and are doing in Calvin's life. We thank you for the future that you have for him as he follows you, as you train him in righteousness, as you display to him the gifts you've given him, Lord, to give you glory. Lord, we pray for him. We pray for uh, his growth. We pray for strength. We pray for good health. Uh, we pray, Lord, for his whole future, for his future family, for his kids. And even one day when he's a grandfather, we ask blessing upon each stage of his life, Lord Jesus, that it would be marked by you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. You're not doing too bad. Thank you. 
We do ask God to look on kindness, not only on Calvin, but on these parents, and we rejoice with Logan and Carla. Um, We pray God's Holy Spirit is present with them always in the raising of Calvin. Uh, We want to welcome him in, and so we're going to end the baptism with a benediction with these words from number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Thank you. At this time, the children are dismissed for children in worship. If you'd follow the flag. So I think one day we're going to see the heavenly realities of what happens in baptism, in the Lord's Supper, in these means of grace that God has given to us. We know, you know, at its most simple level, we're just being obedient to what Scripture calls us to do. But we know that when God commands something, his spirit is infused with what he's commanded. And so even as I started the service and I said some of the most important words were what Nate and Finley said that we gather here in the name of the triune God, um, I also firmly believe... Now, there is that spiritual realm. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, spirits, um, rulers of this present age, different than what we see in the world. And so even in the obedience of baptism, uh, you could say is an act of spiritual warfare. This kid is marked off for the triune God. Calvin belongs to him. I mean, it's just, it's just, it, there's, just, there's just something so weighty to it. Um, I feel it. I hope you guys feel it when we do baptism. And remember your baptisms is, is the point. Uh, I know a lot of you are too young to remember your baptisms. Remember that you were baptized as a baby. And if you haven't been baptized and you're a follower of Jesus, uh, or if you haven't made profession, that's something you need to take care of as well. Talk to myself or one of the elders as we seek to be faithful to the Lord who saved us. This morning, I want to pick up uh, a passage from Hebrews chapter 3. I ask that you have your Bibles open. And before I forget, the new Bibles are out. Uh, on the racks, if you want to use those, the red ones are for those who uh, want a little larger print. Um, they don't carry greater weight or authority. They just have bigger words. So, but the red. So you can grab those. So thank you, Winnie, for ordering the red Bibles. If you did order a Bible as well, all those are in. And I think the sale's off, but there'll be another sale if you want to, want to wait. Hebrews 3, 7 to 19. I'm going to focus on verses 7 to 16 when we get there shortly. So for those that exercise, you know uh, the results of exercising. You know that you have to put tension on your body to to reap the results of gaining in strength. And you know if you exercise right, uh, you gain in proper strength. If you exercise wrong, you can do damage to your body. Um, I stand here as one who loved to exercise, but uh, 
I have apparently done it wrong with a damaged shoulder and uh, I'm waiting to see what happens with that. But it fits what I'm trying to say here. Today we're doing some spiritual exercising. We're going to hear some weight from the book of Hebrews that will weigh on us. And depending on how we press back against it, will either increase us in strength uh, or have the opposite effect. Well, I shouldn't say that. God's word will never return void. Um, if you feel the weight of today's passage, know you are being sanctified as well. So it does it also a good weight that way. All illustrations fall short, so I better stop trying to illustrate this and just read the passage. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 to 19. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I provoked them with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. Do you want to click through it just because I can't see the back one? All right, catch back where I was. Because they have not known my ways, and I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm until the end. As it said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all of those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those whom were dis who were disobedient? So we see that there uh, were, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, as we consider these words from uh, the author of Hebrews, directly pulled from Psalm 95, give us ears to hear how this applies to us, uh, Lord, in 2020, what it means to pursue faithfulness, to apply the faith that you've given to us, to walk in your ways, and we pray this in your name. Amen. So the author of Hebrews, unknown, uh, many assume that it was, was Paul. We don't know uh, for sure who it was, but what we know is that what the author is doing here is quoting Psalm 95. Uh, Psalm 95 is, a, it, like all major psalms, um, has in it very specific themes. Uh, this, the themes here are, are salvation and worship. Now the psalm was, was uh, composed to be sung for the people of God during the Feast of Tabernacles, when God's people relived and remembered in that feast, their time of encampment in the wilderness, of wandering. So in the psalm, as it's quoted, we ask, what is worship? How do we go about doing it? I mean, it can't just be about music style. I mean, it's about language maybe that we use between us and God. What is the worship that the psalmist talks about? And why does the author of Hebrews include it here, which might seem kind of random? Worship, as, as we understand it, is our interacting as the covenant people of God. It's covenant renewal. We're receiving, again, God's promises and blessing to us. We're sending our praises back up to him. And then we see worship in all areas of life. Worship isn't just the music. It's all that we're called to do, even in the places of employment that he's placed you, in the families that he's placed you. 
All that we do is to be done to the glory of God and seen as worship. Now, we do have the specific worship expression on the Sabbath morning as we gather together to renew that covenant with God. But within this description here, in God's command to worship, it comes with a warning. And the warning from the psalm is to not harden your hearts. So the opposite of that warning would be don't harden your hearts, but trust God and enter the promised land. And so we have that promise given to those that were wandering in the wilderness. Trust God, don't harden your hearts, so you enter in the promised land. And in a very correlating sense, we are waiting for the promised land. Um, the new heavens and the new earth, the place of rest, the place of joy, it's coming before us. Do not harden your hearts, we are headed there. So just like Israel was promised this rest, so are God's new covenant people. The great reward that is coming in the life to come. So the points the psalmist makes here is, today do not harden your hearts. And we ask, well, what is today? I mean, this book was written thousands of years ago, and it's quoting a psalm written well before that, what is today, and who are the you? Because we know this wasn't written to us, right? It was written to the Hebrews. But it's written for us, and so we can adequately say the you is also us. And what is the today? Well, the today is today. It was today for the author. It was today for the readers of the, of, of the book of Hebrews. It was today for the singers of the psalm, Psalm 95. And it is today for us as well as we read this portion. Let me unpack this section a little bit more as we get into some maybe heavier themes of this passage. I think one of the, the things that we confuse in the Christian life is being in the battle and being Jesus. All of us struggle in various ways, various temptations, various sins, former sins, sanctification. We're all growing. We're all being made more like Christ. And if we struggle the wrong way, our, our answer often is, I'm just not Jesus. And then we say, amen, we're not Jesus. There's only one Jesus. The right answer is, we are in the battle. We're in the battle, the fight for faith. We're, we're, we're fighting and using the faith that he's given us to follow him in this world, becoming more and more like him, but there is only one Jesus. And so our question is, are you in this, this battle? Different than the battle that we see rage around the world, even as the news hits what's happening in Syria. That's not what I'm talking about. Our battle is spiritual. We fight our sin. We fight for faith. You could say the only times we sin is when we seek to take faith in the things of God. So today as we consider the victory of Jesus, we have to ask ourselves, are we in the battle? The battle for faith, the battle for sanctification, the battle to be made more and more like Jesus as he works out of us those things that aren't pleasing to him and works into us those things that are pleasing to him. Are we pressing forward after him in this sanctification? Today being the first Sunday of the new year, I want to encourage you and point you in the direction to go after Jesus, to keep on after him all year, to press on towards him, not only this year, but all the way until the end, until you're with him in heaven. Are you in that fight for faith? Because if you're not, the warning and the consequences are for you, according to this passage. So I want to break this up into three ways. I want to talk about generational sins, apostasy, and perseverance, all as it applies to what the author of Hebrews says here in this section. Let me begin here. Generational sins. Considering generational sins and God's call for us to follow Jesus. 
When you hear the word generational sins, a lot of times we think like something magical, you know, like something's been handed down to us that we had no control over, but I don't think it's always that complicated. I think a lot of times the things that we do are the things that we've learned, are the things that we've practiced growing up, and they become habits for us, and then we pass those on to the next generation. I don't go to church because my parents stopped going to church. I don't pray because my mother didn't pray. Now, I'm obviously not speaking for me, but I'm speaking generally. I drink too much because my parents did, and it was okay in our home. And on and on we could go of these generational sins that we persist in. But the key is, you can break those generational sins in your generation. You don't have to follow the pattern set for you by those that came before you. So what's the point of all this here? Here we have Psalm 95 as part of uh, this section of the book of Hebrews. What are the readers to read and take from this? What are we to read and take from this? Do not sin in the way that those who came before you sinned. Don't sin in the same way. Do not harden your hearts like they hardened their hearts against God when God was clearly faithful to them and they turned against him. Don't do that. Don't participate in that generational sin. He is faithful. He is faithful to fulfill his promise. Our job is to always trust him to fight the fight for faith. So generational sins. We hear the call to the people of God not to harden their hearts. And we have this example. We read it in verse 7 through 9. I can flip through. If you can hit, hit the slide seven to nine, we're having some projector problems. The back projector's off, so it's thrown me off. See all these habits and patterns we get into? Not a generational sin, but a good example of what happens in life. All right, there we go. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and saw my... And, and saw my works for 40 years. So Israel, when they were being brought out of the land of Egypt for over 40 years, they hardened their hearts against God. They chose their way over his way, and he promised both covenant blessing and covenant curses. So covenant blessing for following his way and covenant curses for not following his way. And then we read this. This is why I was angry with that generation. And I said their hearts are always going astray. And they have not always known my way, so I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter their rest. So you could say because of generational sins, the hardening of hearts here specifically, they did not receive the blessings of God to receive their rest, their eternal rest. Not their eternal rest, the, uh, their, the land of, of rest there. We'll make the division more clear later between salvation and, and earthly blessing here. And so the application for the readers in the book of Hebrews is not to fall away in the same way that their fathers fell away. Again, generational sins are not, are not mysteries. Uh, we're giving warnings throughout scripture. We, we see this warning in Exodus. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heavens above or is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, uh, am a jealous God visiting the inequity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who keep my commandments. 
Generational sins are not some great mystery. I, I, th I think, you know, th th there, there can be that mysterious element in them, but mostly it's just patterns and habits that are developed as we follow what mom and dad did or grandpa and grandma did or what those do around us. And we set new patterns and habits for our own kids. Now, it's interesting. Um, my friend Keith Darrell, I, I, I appreciate my relationship with him so much because he, he gives me eyes uh, that I don't have um, on college campuses and culturally and, and he brought up the comment recently that he was on a college campus and, and, and recently now when he preaches the gospel he'll have kids come up to him, kids in college and say that's the first time I've ever heard the gospel and we're like this is America right? that's the first time you've ever heard the gospel I remember when we were in, uh, in, in I think it was in high school and we went to preach to some homeless uh, people in uh, the town we were in we thought we were doing some good deed and uh, so literally we got into speaking the gospel and they would recite it for us like they had heard it so many times, you know? And here he is on a college campus and these kids are saying, I've never heard the gospel before. And we're like, what? And here we are in America. I mean, th these generational sins are having consequences. I read a few stats the other day. Let me, let me share them with you. If the father is irregular in church attendance and the mother regular only 3% of the children will subsequently become regular themselves, while a further 59% will become irregular. Another quote, if the father is non-practicing in the faith and the mother is practicing, only 2% of children will become regular worshipers. We're like, well, that's, that just seems so odd. At least one of the parents are there, right? And 37% will attend irregularly. So the question's asked, what happens if the father is regular but the mother is irregular and non-practicing and the percentages change? The percentage of children becoming regular goes up to 33%, from 33 to 38% with an irregular mother and up to 44% with a non-practicing mother of non-attenders. So in short, if a father does not go to church, no matter how faithful the mother is, the child will be 50% more likely to not be a regular attender. It's interesting how God has structured the family. And I know we all come here with different families, different experiences, different pains, and different sorrows. But the question we have to ask in the situations of life is what are we passing on to the kids? How are we being faithful to raise up that next generation of faithful worshipers of Jesus? What will that generation look like? Will we have younger people sitting here who said, this is the first time I've heard the gospel? Or will they be prepared to pass on the gospel to the generation that follows as well? We look at our nation and we can say in many ways it's in a difficult state, falling apart. No economic answer will heal it. No political leader will put the glue on the broken pieces. The only answer is the gospel. It is the work of Christ among the land. So we read in the book of Hebrews, Quoting Psalm 95, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test. So what will turn a generation around? Because things can turn around in a generation just like they've turned around in this previous generation. I mean, the stakes are high, right? And I've said this before, lukewarm Christianity is no longer an option. Now, it, it might have been popular to say you were a part of a church 50 years ago. It might have given you better social standing, and it doesn't today. Those times are gone. You're looked down upon by society. The stakes are higher. Either you believe this stuff or you don't. 
You know, and we're not facing the harsh realities like many nations are facing. Now, I've, I've put the, the stat or the different quotes up there from that Chinese Presbyterian church, early reign covenant church. The past, remember that, that long list of quotes I had from the pastor? Basically a response to the government that they're going to stand firmly in the gospel and not in the way uh, that the government was leading. So that pastor was arrested secretly and now sentenced to eight years in prison. Part of it was for what he wrote. So we're not facing that in this nation, praise God. But what we are facing, what will turn us back towards the living God? We read in Revelation 3.15, Revelation 3.15, John wrote, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you either, would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. I mean, the decisions we make today have consequences on our future generations. We know that. That generation was warned to not harden their heart. We're warned to not harden our heart. That brings me to my second thought this morning. Either I'm talking slow or the time's going faster, so we'll see what happens here. Apostasy and God's call for us to follow Jesus. What do Protestants do with the word apostasy, right? I mean, we're firmly five-point Calvinists. We, we believe that it is God's sovereignty and salvation that saves us and keeps us to the end. And here you have a clear warning to people that the author of Hebrews calls brethren. We have this beware to the church. And we're like, we belong to God in life and death. What do we do when we come across passages that speak to apostasy? Let me cover that just for a few minutes. The people in the church that the author is writing to bear the name Christ. They bear the name Christian. But here's the catch. While they bear the name Christian and are in the fellowship of the body of Christ, receiving the benefit of Christ, some will go apostate. All that is to say that I think, as we understand what this apostasy is, as we have the visible church that we're all attached to, that we're baptized into. We eat the Lord's table together. It's the visible church. We receive the benefits of the body of Christ together, helping one another, encouraging one another. And some will leave and never come back because they weren't eternally connected to Christ. They weren't saved, we could say simply. They were connected to the body of Christ in a visible way, but not in the invisible way through salvation. That's what we call apostasy. We talk about that just for a little bit. Here's what we read in our passage. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they've not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter, enter my rest. The warning originally given to the nation of Israel, now we as the new covenant people, we might say this no longer applies to us because Christ has taken all of our penalty for all of our rebellion, right? That's the gospel. He's taken all of our penalty on the cross. He put it to death and he rose free from it and gave us his righteousness. So why is the author of Hebrews using this as an application and as a warning? He's using the words today, and I said the word today applies to us today as well. How does this apply to us as it applied to those wandering in the desert? And my answer is, the warning of apostasy is real. 
Yes, we are reformed. I am a Calvinistic pastor. I love the five points of Calvinism, the response to the, the five points of Arminianism. And that perseverance of the saints, the preservation that we've been bought by the blood of Christ, that we belong to him in life and death. We can't unbuy ourselves. And we have these verses of encouragement. Let me just read a few for you. All that, Jesus says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all those he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. If you're in Christ, that is you. You belong to him. He will hold you. You can't unbuy or unpurchase yourself. You belong to him. We read in John 6, 65. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless he is granted, unless it is granted him by the Father. God doesn't only draw you, he grants you faith and brings you in. Romans 8, maybe my favorite portion of all of Scripture. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, anything else includes you, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The preservation, the perseverance of the saints. He's done the work. He does it all. He gets the glory. Let me read one more from Ephesians. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. It is all God from beginning to end in our salvation. And we're like, well, what is this passage talking about? What is this apostasy? I think I've already explained it, what it is. But let me first say, when we as parents a struggle, you could say, with our kids. And maybe they're struggling in their faith. And, uh, and I've heard the stories over and over. Um, my kid doesn't go to church anymore. They're, they're not attending. They're not, atten- they're not interested. And my first response to that always is just be patient, right? The covenant promises are for them as well. Be patient. They might be living in disobedience, following sin for a time. They bear the name Christ. Be patient. The promises are for them. But what about the people that leave the church and never come back? They never return. And those are who we say were connected to the body of Christ in the formal way through profession and baptism, but didn't have the eternal connection with Christ. Therefore, being in the body of Christ, they left. They went apostate and never came back. There's a difference between the two. We know salvation is a gift. We can't earn it. We can't be good enough to attain it. We can't buy it. We can't pay God back for it. So the author of Hebrews warns the church made up of saved and unsaved, do not harden your hearts to what God has revealed. You've seen him. You know him. You know his works. He's clear to you. Maybe he could have said, for those that don't know Jesus in a saving way, repent of your sin and believe. He's warning them not to depart from the living God. And we would say even baptized, professing members with us, who sing with us, eat with us, connected to the body, the warning is for all of us. Do not harden your hearts. 
So it kind of sounds like I'm talking out of the two sides of my mouth, but again, I'm talking to those that are part of the visible church and those that are part of the invisible church. Invisible church being historically those that are saved into the future. The visible church, just what we see, we don't know. We don't know who the saved and the unsaved are. But it raises other questions. One of the questions is, can someone who is truly regenerate, elect of God from the foundations of the earth, fall away? To that answer, we say no. Someone who is truly regenerate, truly saved, never falls away because God holds them until the end. That's why we say with your kids, be patient. They may stray, they may follow their sin, but God will bring them back. But there is the group that will go apostate. Those who have tasted the goodness of the glory of God, but have not been connected with him in a saving way. So the author of Hebrews says it this way, people are divided, you could say, into three groups. The three groups are unbelievers outside of the covenant, unbelievers in the covenant, and believers in the covenant. And when Christ returns, that three groups falls down to two groups. And those two groups will only be those in Christ and those outside of Christ. But until then, we are in that today that the author writes about, and that warning is for the church those that are connected to the body of Christ here today. Second category is those in covenant who do not believe. Those who, you could say, are wandering in the wilderness right now. This is who the author of Hebrews is warning. Apostasy is real as long as we have the right categories for it. A lot of times we can just say that, uh, anyway, without, without breaking down how we often misunderstand it, um, just know that we often misunderstand what apostasy is. Let me move into my last point this morning. The fight for assurance and the call to follow Jesus. So one of the questions uh, I've asked, others have asked, um, how, do, how do I know that I'm saved? How, how can I know that I'm saved? Again, if salvation is the gift of God, if he's the one that gives you faith and awakens your heart, brings you to him, you don't save yourself and you can't unsave yourself. So, so the question is not how do you get or lose your salvation. The question is how do you have assurance that you're either saved or not? Because our fight isn't for salvation. That's the work of God. Our fight is for the assurance of that salvation. Do you, do you know what I mean? Are you kind of tracking with me here? Do we understand as a body of believers that salvation is the gift of God, that the church is made up of both believers and unbelievers, hopefully all believers? But if you go apostate and never come back, you've never had the faith. If you wander for a while and come back, you've just been disobedient and been brought back by God. Salvation is the gift of God. But what about assurance? That's what we fight for. And I've had many conversations with people dealing with sin and the conversation kind of goes like this. I'm dealing with this, uh, such and such. Um, have I lost my salvation? I'm like, well, you know, that's, that's not the question to answer. God gives you salvation. You belong to him or not. The question to ask right now is, uh, do you know that you're saved? And right now you don't know that you're saved because you're living in this sin. And when you live in sin, you have no assurance that you belong to Jesus. But when you're battling sin, when you're engaged in the fight, when you're taking faith in God and that's overcoming your sin, you have the assurance that you are saved because you're living out your faith. 
I told one friend recently, you know, sanctification, you really see the evidence of sanctification when you're able to walk over the belly of your sins. When you see those sins creeping up on you and you're like, no, I'm taking faith in Jesus and I'm walking right over those, right through it. I'm not giving into it. Like that's when you feel your sanctification. You're like, yeah, I am saved. I know it. Not because I did this, but because I serve Jesus, he saved me that I can walk right over those sins and get through them. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says as encouragement to the church. Take care, brothers, brothers and sisters. Take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Take care. Don't leave the body of Christ. Don't play around with sin. Practice your faith. How do we do this? He doesn't leave us hanging. He says this. But exhort one another every day. Crossroads Fellowship, exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. When's today? Today's now. Exhort one another every day. What does it mean to exhort? Have you ever been exhorted? Have you ever exhorted somebody, built them up, encouraged them, pointed them to Jesus, helped them run this race of faith? But exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. Calvin is also our responsibility, right? Exhort one another every day. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm until the end. As it said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. I mean, it's just so simple, right? God has given us the blessing of the church together to meet, to gather Last night, having fun over a game and food today in worship, to be encouraged by one another in a world that stands opposed to Christ. So it is easy, and I, I know I've got to wrap this up, but it is easy to come into this place and pretend everything's okay. We actually feel like the obligation, right? I'm marching in here because I'm good with God, because I'm good, and deep down we're like, yeah, I, I know me. If everyone really knew me, you know, like, they'd know I'm not good. But I, I can't show that side of me, right? That's not how the church is supposed to function. Not according to the author of Hebrews, not according to all of Scripture. We are here to encourage one another. Imagine if we could come into this place and say, Mike, I need you to pray for me. Here's what I'm dealing with. Or, or, or Brad, right? The, Look, look what's going on. Um, just encourage me and, and pray for me. Or what if we just offered that to somebody? I know what's going on in your life. That's why Jesus came. He's restoring you. He's working in you. Let me pray for you. How can I help you? What are your needs? I mean, the, the church would just be so much different. Not just this. All churches would be so different. But we assume we either have to hide our sin and be Jesus and then we miss the gospel. So as we fight for the assurance of faith, we fight together as a body of believers together. And he writes in verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm until the end. So part of our job in encouraging and exhorting one another is to do this with each other until the end, run the race of faith, Life is hard, it's brutal sometimes, it'll knock you down, we'll help you back up, run the race of faith.
run it with each other. God has given us each other to do this with. Let me wrap this up in application. One of the signs of the maturity of a particular body of believers is how we deal with sin. Now we can all say generally, we're all sinners and we all need Jesus. But what happens if somebody walks in here whose sin is obvious and everybody knows about how do we respond? I have a friend in their church, uh, maybe about a year ago, they were trying to deal with uh, how do we incorporate someone on the sex offender list into the body of Christ? You gotta sit with a sponsor, what do we do? Or so-and-so has just had an affair, no one's talked about it, everybody knows it, what are we gonna do? Obviously there's an elder response, but there's a church response as well. What do we do when sins are made public? How do we respond to each other? I'll tell you how it typically plays out. We reject, they leave. I'm not just saying us, that's what the church does. We reject, they leave. So then we all keep quiet. And then we're unable to exhort each other and encourage one another daily because we just want to survive. And that's not what we're called to. Marriages, facing problems, finances in people's lives up against a wall, addictions, alcohol, pornography, lying, gossip. And some might say, never here. And we're like, oh yeah? (laughs) What are you going to do and who are you going to be if that stuff comes to the table? Are you going to encourage those around you to run the race of faith, to repent of sin, to turn back towards Christ? Or are you going to say, no, I want nothing to do with you? We know what's easier, but we know what's better. Let me wrap this up. I think I said that once. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that twice. As soon as we think we have it all together, not just doctrinally, as soon as we think we have it all together personally, we see very little need for Jesus. Might Christ never become nothing to us? Because that would be the end of that kind of thinking. But might Christ always be everything to us? And might we constantly point each other towards Christ? That's why we're here together as a body of believers, to encourage and exhort one another daily that our hearts might not be hardened, but that we might run the race of faith until the end. That is our expectation from the author of Hebrews, from me to you, and hopefully from all of you back to me. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the faith that you've given to us. We thank you that we are a body of believers together. And I ask, Lord, that we would exercise grace with each other, Grace that equals encouragement in running the race of faith. We know there are those that are struggling here this morning. We don't know the specifics, but we know life is brutal often. So might we be your hands and feet to each other, encouraging one another daily, and all the more as we see the day approaching, Lord, that we might run this race of faith together firmly, focused on you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. I think Mike is going to offer the prayer um, before the offering this morning.
Thank you, Pastor Mark. Please join me in a congregational prayer. Lord God, we praise you for your mighty works, for your word, and by your word, you created the universe, and we stand in awe of the incredible beauty and the complexity of it all. You are the author and the giver of life, the light of life, and the light of all mankind. We thank you for that new life that uh, we celebrate with the birth and baptism of Calvin Kingma. We thank you, Lord, for your covenant promises that you separated him as you separated us out of the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of darkness, and into your triune covenant. Help us as members of your body here at Crossroads to be faithful to that covenant promise and uh, being uh, a guide and exhorting Calvin and Logan and Carla in the faith. You know, Lord, the struggle Calvin has with uh, digesting certain foods, and we just pray, Lord, that you would uh, bring healing to that little young body, Lord, and uh, that you would guide the doctors in a proper course of treatment for him. We also celebrate, Lord, the marriage of Matt Monfils and Amanda Altonant yesterday. Bless their marriage, Lord. Unite their hearts together. Guide them into a union with your spirit and your will, O oh Lord. And help us again, Lord, to encourage them in their faith walk together. Lord, bring to mind our sins so that we can repent of them and, and then close us, Lord, with the righteousness from Jesus Christ that we may go forth this week to live lives to your glory. We thank you, Lord, for the times in which we live with the many breakthroughs in medical te technologies and treatments available. Then when we are sick, we can come to you in prayer. You bring us your grace and your peace to cope and you lead us into a closer walk with you in the midst of that illness. You also lead us, Lord, to the right doctors for the healing of our diseases. We thank you, Lord, for successful surgeries, for the healing for Carolyn Wilson with foot surgery, for Dan, uh, David Vandaloon's eye surgery, and for continued healing for Drew Geyser, and for successful cancer treatment, Lord, for Angie Voss, Breslin Hurt, and myself. We pray that you would continue to bring them healing, Lord, and strength. We pray for those, Lord, who are in the hospital. We think of Barb Voss's brother, Mark, recent heart attack. For Glenn Summers, who fell again and uh, has pneumonia, and he's in the hospital. And for Winnie Peterson, who's undergoing cancer treatment right now. Surround them, Lord, with your love. May they feel your peace flow over them and bring healing to their bodies. For those, Lord, struggling, with long-term chronic illnesses, we pray, Lord, that you would give them strength of spirit, peace of mind, and healing. Help researchers, Lord, discover new cures and better treatments for high blood pressure, for diabetes, for these autoimmune system disorders that are so prevalent today. And please help us, as your body here, Lord, um, minister to those who are sick. Pray for them. We pray that you would work in them to heal them and that they would know your grace and peace. We thank you, Lord, for the freedom and liberty we have to worship you here in America and here at Crossroads. It is not so, Lord, around the rest of the world. This precious freedom we know is from your hand, and we pray that you would protect and preserve this nation. We pray also for our leaders, president, vice president, members of Congress and their families. Protect them from those who seek to destroy this nation. For our soldiers overseas, we pray for your hand of protection in their lives. 
Send your angels to keep watch over them during their deployment. May your hand of protection be upon this nation. Extend your grace by bringing about a revival in this country and abroad that more and more people will call upon you as their Lord and Savior to the glory of God the Father. Help us, Lord, to understand that this battle going on right now with Iran, in Iraq, in Syria, the war, the greater war on terror, is part of that greater war that the pastor mentioned against the rulers and authorities, against the cosmic powers in this present darkness. And that it is a great struggle for faith, Lord. So give us eyes of faith to see that struggle, that we may join the battle, that we may be, have the faith to proclaim your word, Lord, to be in prayer for our nation and for our soldiers. We pray for our missionaries that we support. The Liberian Church Project, um, Prakesh, the Giffords, Justin Van Zee, the Voltices, Joel Veldkamp, Brandon and Ashley Wilson, the Bryhoffs, and our Zuni Mission School. Surround them, Lord, with your mercy and protection. May they see your hand in leading others to you, Lord. It is such a joy, Lord, to see your hand in that process, and, and we uh, hear them in their newsletters and in talking to them. They see the joy of your hand in that process. Help us, Lord, here in our outreach efforts, here in West Des Moines, through the food pantry, the Central Iowa Shelter Dinners. Create a heart in us for the lost, Lord, to share Christ with those in our community here. Thank you, Lord, for this new year and all those engaged and energized in leading your church here at Crossroads, for the teachers leading the Sunday school classes, both children and adult, for the Awanas leaders, for the early teens and the high school youth leaders, and the praise team that's up here every week that leads us in worship of you. Fill them, Lord, with your joy as they study, prepare the class materials on a weekly basis uh, to share the truth and love of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for Pastor Mark and Kara and their family. Help us lift them in prayer daily. Protect them as they seek your will in leading your people here at Crossroads. Imbue Pastor Mark with an extra measure of your spirit to bring us the message of your word on a weekly basis. Open our hearts to hear your word, Lord. Transform our minds to understand it as he brings us the message. And fill us with the power of your love to lead this place and lead others to a knowledge of the truth that you are God. We pray all these things in the power and the presence of our gracious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, Mike. I think what we're going to do now for the offering, since we're over, if we could um, have the offering taken. As the offering is taken, if we could pass the uh, notebooks. And then I'm going to do the announcements as well at the front end of the offering. Um, hopefully that doesn't mess too much up here. So if we get the offering passed, I'm going to ask, are there any announcements this morning? No, Tim has one, but we'll save yours. You're going to save it for next week? I'm trying to, I'm trying to buy you some time here. Okay, all right. Wow, that just messes things up now. <laughs> just a handful of announcements. Um, next Sunday evening, we have a joint service. Uh, location will be our old building. And so we're going to have an evening service at 6 p.m. with Redeemer Presbyterian. That's Wayne Larson's church that meets over on uh, 50th and Hickman. 
Yeah, they've done a lot of repairs, updates to the church, probably since a lot of you have been there recently. It'll be a 6 p.m. evening service. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be just a fun night. Um, if that's something you're interested in, join us for that, that service. Then I was going to give the rest of the time to Tim, so now I don't know what to talk about. <laughs> Are there any other announcements this morning? Marlon, okay. So this is, this is just a reminder. Um, tonight we have Rest of Glory that's starting again. It's a survey of the Bible. Um, we spend an hour. Um, we have a prayer time and a video for 25 minutes or so and then a Bible study. So if you're interested, come. Uh, we're into the Old Testament prophets, so tonight we're doing Daniel. Um, but it's an excellent time to get together in fellowship. So, co- and always have coffee and cookies. Would you stand for the benediction? Receive these words in closing and in parting. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is an easy song to clap to every beat. Here we go. There we go. All right. Lord, how you love me, I don't deserve grace on top of You took my place 